0: As the kids are leaving, uh, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. One of the most classic Christmas passages that is read every year in every church and certainly in many homes as well. In Luke chapter 2, Luke gets really specific about some historic and geographic detail. Our theme during the Advent season this year we're calling the Unexpected King. Now that may throw you a bit because there's the hymn, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. And if you know anything about the first century, you know, of course, that messianic expectations were through the roof. So so why entitle Advent's theme this year at Oak Mountain, The Unexpected King? Well, because even though messianic expectations were very high, Many of those expectations were absolutely wrong. And wrong expectations lead to wrong assumptions. And wrong assumptions often lead us to draw wrong conclusions. The people missed, by and large, the first Christmas. And all throughout the life of Christ, because he didn't fit their expectations, many people missed Jesus as Messiah. And even though we in this room, most of us know Christ, there are still times, many times in my own life, where I have wrong expectations and wrong assumptions about Jesus, And I end up thinking wrongly about him. And I miss opportunities to grow in him in my own life. People missed the king. Even though they expected him. Because he didn't fit their expectations. It's happened to another so-called king. See if you recognize this one. Elvis. Called the king. By the way, he never liked being called the king. When he was asked what he thought about it, you know what he said? The only king is the Lord Jesus Christ. But one, uh, when he was, before he was famous, there was a a restaurant that he frequented called Lil, Lil Thompson's Steakhouse in Memphis, Tennessee. And before he became become famous, before he could rub two pennies together, he would go there because he knew the owner, Lil, and she would allow him for, to eat for free. Well, at the height of his fame, he would periodically go back. One night at Lil's, they decided to hold an Elvis impersonation contest. The place was packed. And to show his support for Lil and to give her and the crowd a thrill, he decided incognito that he would take part in the contest. He slipped in unnoticed. Lil was afraid that the place was going to riot when they recognized that it was the real Elvis. When it came time for Elvis to sing, he sang, Love Me Tender ended with very polite, half-hearted applause from the audience, and the judges awarded him third place. (laughs) How can that happen? The, The real king was right in front of them because their expectations got in the way. They thought, surely the real Elvis is much too busy to visit Lil' Steakhouse tonight. Certainly the real Elvis has much more important things to do than to hang out with the likes of us. And because of those expectations that were wrong, they missed celebrating the presence of Elvis. Jesus is the real king. And yet, how often, because of our wrong expectations and assumptions, do we long for Jesus to come to us and he's willing and ready and even does come, but we miss him because of our wrong assumptions? The particular focus this morning is the expected king with the unexpected arrival. Dr. Luke writes of the arrival of Christ, the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, in such a way that he wants to make Jesus so approachable to us. He wants to put our hearts at ease in the presence of Of this King and he does it in a masterful way so that as it says in Hebrews 4 as we lose our wrong expectations and assumptions that Jesus is too high and mighty for the people the likes of us that we learn to approach with boldness the throne of grace that we might find mercy and receive grace in our time of need. Let's all stand out of reverence for God's Word. Follow along as I read Luke 2, verses 1 through 7. This is the famous Christmas passage. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. May God bless the hearing and teaching of his inspired, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative word. This is God's word. He gave it to us because he loves us. And he wants us to shed all of our wrong expectations and assumptions. And he wants us to run boldly to the throne of grace to find help in our time of need. Let's pray. God, I don't know what people are going through, but if they're going through with the stuff I go through, Lord, there are times we're filled with doubt. We're filled with, with whether you really hear us, whether you really care about the little things that seem to bother us so much. And, and so, Lord, encourage us today. Encourage us by this unexpected arrival that blows away our expectations. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So to use a figure of speech, Luke writes this portion of the gospel story in a way that makes Jesus very down-to-earth. Now, that's actually tongue in cheek because you know that's where the phrase comes from. When you say somebody is very down to earth, it's actually referring to the incarnation. It's actually referring that the Almighty, Majestic, Infinite, Eternal, Omnipotent, Glorious God got very down to earth for us, He became more relatable. So that we would feel more at ease. That's why Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. So three details of the king's arrival of the Messiah's nativity that gives us confidence to run to Jesus. First of all, run to King Jesus reflecting upon nativity normality. I said earlier that Luke, who is an amazing researcher in his own right and historian, it's amazing how many times liberal theologians have, have said that Luke couldn't possibly be right because he gives such details. He gets in the weeds, and time after time after time, historical records and archaeological finds have proven Luke right Look at verse 1. He says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Is there anything more normal than emperors and presidents and rulers issuing decrees? See, what Luke is doing is saying, How did the Messiah end up being born in Bethlehem according to prophecy? And the answer is through the normality of life, through business as usual through Caesar's issuing decrees, through a census being taken, through taxes being levied, through various governors being involved. Look at verse 2. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And as a result of the normal course of events, the normality of life, all went to be registered. And so Joseph, because of the normality of life in the Roman Empire, had to leave Nazareth and go to Bethlehem to be registered. It reminds me, if you've been around for our series in 1 Samuel that will begin again uh, in January, the first king of Israel, his name was Saul. And in 1 Samuel 9 and 10, the strangest string of events leads to Saul being anointed the first king of Israel. If you weren't here, here's what happens. Saul's father loses a bunch of goats. They they, they run away. Saul's father tells Saul to go find the goats. He goes all over the place looking for the goats. He can't find the goats. As a result, he runs into a string of people randomly. It seems like a bunch of coincidences bumping into each other. And as a result, at just the right time, he's in just the right place to bump into Samuel the prophet, where God says, this is the guy, anoint him. We see the same kind of normality bringing Jesus to Bethlehem for his royal arrival. Luke is making a point. Jesus came into the world in the normal way, and Jesus continues to come into the world through the normality of life. In 1 Samuel, I talked about the miraculous of the mundane. And really, there's no way around it. I've got to talk about it again. God must want us to be getting this point. There is the miraculous of the mundane. Most of life is really not all that exciting Most of life is getting out of bed and being faithful throughout the day through your calling, your vocation, your place of work, changing diapers, telling a toddler no for the 1000th time when their strong will is being exercised, running to the store, going to the doctor's office, taking kids to soccer practice, writing the bill for college tuition. And since Jesus is born in the normality of life, Luke is saying Jesus continues to be born in our hearts. Not through the big and the bold most of the time, but from the normality of life. And God is saying to us this morning, are you inviting Christ to come to you in the normality of life? Look, we all run to Jesus when we're desperate. But what about when things are just normal? Do you forget to run to him? Do you get distracted? Is it such business as usual that you think God isn't really interested? Jesus visits in the normality of life. Jesus visited in his arrival in the normality of life. And what else do we talk about at Advent? The second coming, the second Advent. Guess what? All is going to be normal. I, I, I love these people that get all in these prophecy kicks. They got all these charts and they're getting out their newspaper and they're trying to figure out, you know, this is that and that is this. and ooh. No. <laughs> That's precisely the opposite of what Jesus said. In Luke 17, Jesus said, I came. He didn't say this part, but I'm saying he came the first time in the normality of life. And guess what? The second time he's coming in the normality of life as well. Here's what Jesus says in Luke 17. As it was in Noah's day, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. As in Moses' day, people were eating and drinking normal life. Giving each other in marriage and being married right up until the flood came. So it will be with the Son of Man's return. Then he says in Luke 17, likewise, just as it was in the day of Lot, people were eating and drinking, normal life. And then he adds some things they were buying and selling normal commerce, normal business, normal routine of vocation. Some were planting, he says. Others were building, moving forward in the world, making things happen, wheeling and dealing. And in Lot's day, the same thing was happened right up until sulfur and rain fell from heaven and consumed them. So it will be at the coming of the Lord. We need to wake up to the reality that as Jesus came the first time in the midst of the normality of life, So he will come again in the midst of the normality of life. And, relevant to all of us here, he continues to come to each of us most powerfully, not in the big and the bold. But in the everyday, business as usual, normality of life. And he calls us to run to him throughout all those mundane moments that we might see He really wants to come to us. Run to Jesus reflecting, nativity norm- reflecting upon nativity normality. Secondly, run to Jesus reflecting upon nativity humility. This whole passage is filled with information that tells us Jesus is not the way you'd expect a king to act or the way you'd expect a king to arrive. Jesus is so much more approachable. He, he puts us at ease in his presence. Look at verse 4. Joseph went to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. And again, through our series in 1 Samuel, we learned that it's called Bethlehem is called the city of David because throughout 1 Samuel we realize that's actually where David was from. Now, what do we know about Bethlehem, about the city of David? if we look elsewhere in Scripture. Well, Jason read the key passage from Micah chapter 5. Micah chapter 5 says this, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, and then it talks about the king coming out of Bethlehem. What we learn about Bethlehem is that it was an insignificant, unnoticeable, unimportant obscure town. And when Micah says, you were too little to be among the clans of Judah, here's what he's talking about. If you go to the book of Joshua, when Joshua leads the the Israelites into the promised land, if you keep reading in Joshua after all the battles, you read of the allotments of land and cities in the promised land to each tribe of Israel. When you get to the tribe of Judah and the land allotted to them and the cities that they were to occupy, you will not even read the town of Bethlehem. It was too insignificant. It was too unimportant. It was too obscure. And what we learn is that our king chose to arrive not in Jerusalem. The city of kings, but a tiny, insignificant, obscure town six miles south. Of Jerusalem. So when we sing this hymn like we did this morning, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. And we think, oh, how sweet, a nice little Christmas carol. Don't miss the significance of O little town of Bethlehem. The significance of that carol is how insignificant Bethlehem is. And that our savior, our king, the king chose humility over a display of power and majesty. And he does that so that we would learn how approachable he is. How he says to us, come to me, you who are weary, heavy laden, burdened. I'm so approachable. Whoever comes to me, I promise I'll never turn away. He's gentle and lowly in heart. How different approaching Jesus is than approaching much royalty in our day. Do you have any idea what it's like to meet one of the royals? Do you have any idea how much protocol you gotta learn? Do you have any idea all the, all the things you need to avoid so you don't offend them? Like for instance, when you, when you walk into the presence of royalty, the the Brits, let's say, the royal family, you do not extend your arm. You do not initiate a greeting with the royal. You are a subject. They are majestic. And the distance between us is emphasized in the protocol. You stand there, and you look down. You don't even make eye contact. And then if They feel like extending their hand. Then you may shake it. You may shake it firmly, but you must make sure you do not shake it too firmly or that will be offensive because that would be a show of power over the powerful one. Then when you shake their hands, you may look them in the eye, and as you do, you either bow or you curtsy. And while you do that, you must remember the right title that you need to address them with. Your royal highness, your majesty, depending upon their position. I'd be a nervous wreck. I would surely create a, a, a faux pas. I would do something wrong. And then when you leave, you're not allowed to turn your back. You've got to back up like this. And then when you get away from them, then you can finally go ahead and Turn around. Can I just tell you that uh, I struggle so many times with how I approach Jesus because I see him as one of those royals that has so many protocols. And I'm afraid I'm not doing it right. I'm not coming to him right. I'm not asking right. Maybe my life isn't right enough. I'm just unworthy to approach him. And Luke presents the king as being born in an insignificant, obscure place. He doesn't regard equality with God as something to be grasped, as something to flaunt as something to throw in your face, to intimidate you, to make you hesitant, to create doubt and fear. Now he wants to be from a nowhere place so that we would feel at ease in his presence. Run to King Jesus, reflecting upon nativity normality, reflecting upon nativity, Humility, and then thirdly, run to King Jesus reflecting upon nativity vulnerability. Look at verse seven. She, Mary, gave birth to her first firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths. Is anybody else blown away by the God of the universe as a newborn? I mean, is there anything more vulnerable than a newborn? Our daughter Hannah just had her second child. Uh, They were here for Thanksgiving. He was only like 11 weeks old, but Laurie and I were there when he was born. She was there when he was born. I was there about a week later. And let me tell you something. I'm not a newborn guy, okay? And and the reason is I'm convinced I'm going to break it. I mean, the most awkward moment when I'm with a young mom with a newborn is, is the handoff. I'm like, I'm going to break its neck. I'm going to break an arm. I'm going to break its back. I mean, it just seems so vulnerable, so fragile. And that's part of the point of Jesus being born. Is he shared in our vulnerability. And it makes him so relatable. And so approachable. And then the text tells us that she wrapped him in swaddling cloths. Why do you do that? Well, to help a newborn feel secure. Isn't that amazing that Jesus, the King of Kings, was dependent on his own creatures to help him feel secure and to cover his vulnerability? He was born in a cave in a feeding trough, the text tells us. He was exposed to the elements, exposed to the cold. He was dependent upon his own creatures to cover the vulnerability of his human limitations. Don't miss this, folks. That's written so that we might understand Jesus shared in our vulnerability. He gets when we feel exposed. And then the text tells us there was no room at the inn. Now, inns in themselves were pretty seedy and shady places. Public inns were the place of thieves, robbers, sometimes even kidnappers and murderers. And Jesus was born. In such a place, he exposed himself to vulnerability so that we might know he gets us when we feel vulnerable. Where do you feel fragile and frail this Christmas? How do you feel exposed to the frigidity? of this broken world or the coldness of the hearts of people around you. Jesus longs to come to you and to meet you in your vulnerability. He understands times and seasons we feel exposed, weighed down. That's why he says, come to me, come to me. If you're weary, if you're burdened, you're heavy laden, you feel exposed and vulnerable, come to me. Take my yoke upon you. I am gentle. I am lowly. I, I don't know about you, but that blows my expectations out of the water. It just blows me away. After all these years I, I still struggle to believe that Jesus really wants to come to me. Maybe you do too. See, we've got to deal with those expectations. We've got to ask God to deal with those expectations because those expectations are what are keeping us from running to Jesus in the normality of life when we feel exposed when we feel that we've got to follow all the protocols in order to even be accepted into His presence. Wrong expectations create wrong assumptions. And wrong assumptions blind us to the presence of the Savior when He so longs to be seen as already being with us. I opened with... A slide of a music personality, I'm going to close with a slide of a music personality. Now, some of you may not know who this is, but, but if you know me, you know who this is. This is the lead guitarist uh, for the rock group U2. You've heard me talk about Bono, the, the front man, the lead singer, but this guy's name is The Edge. By the way, The Edge's dad was a PCI elder, Presbyterian Church in in Ireland elder. So this is quintessential edge garb. He always wears that black beanie. He always wears that black leather coat, and he always has that guitar strapped around his neck. Well, a couple years ago, he was trick-or-treating with one of his younger children. They were in Los Angeles. And they both dressed up for Halloween as the edge. They both had on the beanies. They both had on the leather jacket. And they both had guitars strung around their necks. They went up to the door. They got some candy. They turned around. And the edge hears from inside the door these words. That is so sad. Sad. That father looks nothing like the Edge. (laughs) (laughs) Expectations. Why would the Edge be walking around the streets trick-or-treating with his child? There's no way that could be the Edge. And they missed him. How are your expectations? and assumptions keeping you from seeing and experiencing Jesus when he is right in front of you. Arms outstretched, saying, come to me, and you will find rest for your souls. Let's pray. Father, there. Maybe people that think they're in this room and they've been searching for Jesus their whole lives and have never, ever sensed that you can be found. God, would you open their eyes and would you let them see that you're right there, arms wide open, and that you will never turn away anybody that comes to you? And might they come to you today? to put their trust in the finished work of Jesus for their salvation. Father, there are others of us, we've been Christians for many, many years, and yet we still fear we don't have the protocols right, or that we're not worthy, or that you certainly wouldn't take the time to show up at our door. And as a result, we miss you. So, Lord Jesus, thank you for humbling yourself, For coming as a newborn. For being born in an obscure nowhere town. For living most of your life in in absolute normality. Even how you were born. And Jesus, thank you for making yourself vulnerable for us. And that you want to cover us in our vulnerability. Jesus, help us to love you more. And tell others about the wonder and beauty of what you're really like. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand here the benediction. Uh, The promise of this amazing grace from this amazing king that wants to go with us wherever we are. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Abba Father who loved us enough to send the Christ And may the fellowship and transforming power of the Spirit who applies the work of Christ to our lives on a daily basis. May the Trinitarian God be with you now and always. Amen.